I'm Andrew Haynes, and this is the Fair Game Podcast, the place where we talk about all things golf. This episode is a discussion around one single question. Can golf help you live your best life? As the game grows in cultural relevance, more and more people have found ways to use the game to create the life they want to live. One of them is Matt Cardis. Some of you know his Insta account at Golfing Your State, or know him as the guy in the van that drives around and plays golf. Yeah, that's part of it, but Matt's way of life allows him to be creative in ways people stuck behind desks will never be able to do. It also allows him to see the game evolve in real time on the ground all across the country. He's truly living a life on his terms within golf the way he wants it to be. Our other guest is Patrick Donahue. Patrick grew up with the game and now works for the Western Golf Association, the guys behind the Evans Scholar Program, an initiative that empowers youth to pursue their professional dreams by providing full tuition and housing scholarships. Let's get started. Thanks for hopping on. It's really good to see both of you guys. From a theme perspective, I think I mentioned to each of you what we like to do is kind of like have these pairings where we're bringing people together. Imagine if we were playing a round of golf together. And what do you both have in common that could be interesting for us to talk about for four hours while playing golf? And I think what I find very interesting about what each of you guys is doing um, in your own respective ways is you think of golf as an industry and at least from my perspective, um, a lot of people may think that the the path of getting into golf is very linear. Where I went to golf, I went to college for golf, and I studied golf, or I played golf, or I used to be an athlete, and then I'm going to go work for TaylorMade and make clubs, or I'm going to go work for the Golf Channel. And it's interesting how you guys are in your own respective ways have found your own path. From Matt, you're kind of like the embodiment of. Within golf, you can make your own path, right? Where, you know, you you live a life by your own rules, which I think is awesome. Um, especially, I don't know, when I look at what the world looks like, uh, like what COVID did to this world is that more and more people have been inspired to finding ways of, of saying that, hey, it's this like YOLO philosophy in a sense where, you know what? This is how I want to live my life and I'm going to find the means to, to, to make that thing happen. And I think you embody that. And then from the Evan Scholars perspective, Patrick, I think it's really cool where you guys aren't forcing, you know, these kids to say, hey, you have to pursue a career in golf. It's golf is a vehicle for you to pursue the dreams that you want. And if you want to stay within golf, cool. And if you don't, um, that's also fine, too. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and I didn't know a lot about Evan Scholars. Um, I had one conversation with Christian Hafer, this guy that you guys hired a while back and did some work, and he was talking about it. And then. After the podcast, I had randomly gotten paired up with an Evan, Evan Scholar at a course where I just showed up and got paired with this guy, and I forget his name, but uh, he super smart guy. I think he worked for you know Shell or some kind of like you know company in doing something that's beyond my means. I'm just a graphic designer, so uh, but super smart guy, really cool golfer, and really awesome person. So I thought it was like, oh wow, this is a really cool organization. Um, so really fun to kind of like, you know, meet and, and learn more about it. So to start things off, I know I just rambled for a long time. We we love to just set the stage because some people may know who you guys are, each of you respectively, but may not. Um, just tell us a little bit about how you got into golf slash your own avenue, you know, part of this fun little thing that we call an industry. So who wants to go first? 
Matt, you want to go for it? Sure. My name is Matt Cardis. I'm the founder of Golf in Your State, founder of Cardis Creative, uh, full-time van lifer. I'm a photographer. I work in golf. Um, you know, I'm a, my home, uh, I'm based out of Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and really my whole lifestyle revolves around my love of the outdoors, really, you know, bringing my lifestyle of uh, the snow culture, surf, surf culture to golf. Um you know, it's, it's been a wild journey. I've been on this for five and a half years. I started playing golf at a really early age because of my father. Um, my dad's and I have a golfer started me at the age of five. You know, I've had this uh, unique relationship with the game of golf throughout the years. You know, I, I loved it as a kid. My teen years, I hated the game. Um, you know, it, and now here I am, you know, early 40s, just clearly obsessed with it, right? Um, you know, I've dedicated my life to the game for the past six years. I've been traveling full time. I've done over 160,000 miles documenting the modern day culture of golf in America. It's, um, you know, I, I, I like to think that I love the game more than most. <laughs> One question in regards to that, because some people may know of the project that you had just golf in your state. Um, that's how I found you. I was like, oh yeah, Matt, he's that cool dude that's driving around and checking in all these golf courses and living this really cool life. But when you think of, uh, you know, how golf has changed over the past, I don't know, five years or so, a lot of it, at least for me, like it's only what I see on Instagram or what I see on the web or what gets cut into something that I see on TV. Um, you've probably seen more of the actual change on the ground than I would maybe say anyone else out there, like truly like on the ground, different cities, different people, different perspectives. If you had to summarize, this is a very long question, but if you had to summarize from a change perspective, what you've really seen in golf outside of what the internet tells us, like what, what's your perspective on that? I mean, I really appreciate that, Andrew. It's been an, kind of an important thing of the whole journey is, you know, when I left my job in advertising, I left a job, I was making $100,000 a year to go live in my car and, and chase a dream. And really that dream revolves 100% around the game of golf, but really the modern day culture of the game. And as I kind of stepped into this, you know, I looked at the industry as a whole through my, you know, previous job in advertising and media, I followed a bunch of golf accounts just because I love the game. And, you know, I really saw a lack in the industry, um, you know, as, as people were, you know, trying to figure out what social media was in golf and how they could use social media to benefit, you know, their brand or whatever it is. Um, you know, I've seen this evolution, which has been absolutely fantastic, right? There's so much emphasis on growing the game, but I think, you know, the culture as a whole in America has really just like embraced the game. And, you know, I talk a lot about the modern golfer, you know, bringing modern day culture into the game as far as, you know, um, the clothing and music and how we even play the game itself. You know, I, I've, I feel like I truly have a better pulse on the industry than probably anyone just through my travels and connecting with local golfers everywhere that I go. You know, if you ask me what the golf culture was in New York city versus Los Angeles versus Chicago, like I can pinpoint those, those intricacies that, you know, have made these communities special and, you know, really has the game thriving today, um, which has been really, really fun for me, but it's also been like, an under, underlying mission from the very beginning, right? Like how can I step into the sport and, and truly like leave my fingerprint on the industry? 
Um, you know, I'm an impactful kind of guy where it's like, it, I don't want to just document. I want to impact change for the better. Right. And if that's opening people's eyes to, you know, how they can, you know, create content in a different way or use the game of golf to, to, you know, promote uh, initiatives relating around the environment and social issues. And there's so many different layers to this cake. And it's something I'm really, really proud of. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. And it's so true where golf doesn't have to be this one thing. It could be a catalyst just to get people to start to, th to talk about or think about something else. Because, hey, now that I have your attention for four hours, like, let's let's discuss X, Y, Z. That's awesome. Um, so, so Patrick, in that regard, maybe start with like you as yourself, because I think it could be really cool to hear your story about how you got into golf and then how you kind of found your way to Evan Scholars and then what exactly the organization does. Sure. Yeah. Andrew, thanks for having me. It's great to talk to Matt again. Um, yeah. So I'm Patrick Downey. I'm the director of digital media for the Western Golf Association and the Evan Scholars Foundation. We're based here, uh, kind of on the north side of, on the north side of Chicago, um, you know, golf has kind of always been in my life. I grew up, my mom's family actually got my dad into it. And so, you know, the game has always been a big part of my life as a kid, but I didn't really, it was in my orbit, but I wouldn't say I was like into playing when I was um, younger. Uh, you know, my dad played a lot, belonged to clubs and that kind of thing, but it just wasn't really something that I thought was in conversation with the other interests that I had growing up. I just, you know, I, I think there was a lot of like stigma around the game and kind of what it represented to me. And I was just, I didn't feel like it really jived with where I was um, as a young person. And, and that was really until probably my late twenties, honestly, you know, um, I took this job. I was living in Beaufort, South Carolina, down near Hilton head. Uh, I was a print newspaper reporter uh, at the time I was doing like food arts and culture. Um, that kind of writing down in the low country of South Carolina and, um, you know, seeing the writing on the wall with where the newspaper industry was at that time, you know, it's only gotten worse since then. And, you know, was really looking to figure out how do I transition the skill set that I have into something else that was a little more sustainable long-term. Um, and the WGA just happened to be looking for someone who had a social media background, which I've been doing as part of my everyday job as a journalist. Um, and it was just honestly kind of right place, right time. Um, you know, I was, I was looking to move back to the Midwest. I went to college here. My family lives here and was ready to stop, you know, taking those connecting flights through Atlanta and Charlotte and that kind of thing and just get a little closer to home. So um, it's been incredibly kind of fortuitous for me because this, this job and this organization and what it does, not only for the game of golf, but really how it impacts the lives of young people um, is something that I feel really lucky to be a part of every day because it's unreal. Um, and so I guess going into kind of what we do, you know, the Western Golf Association was founded in here in Chicago in 1899. Um, it was started to grow the game of golf in what was then the Western region, which was pretty much anything West of the Mississippi at the time. Um, and so in 1899, we played our first, uh, Western open, which is what the BMW championship is now. Mm. And, and in that, and then in 1930, um, uh, Chick Evans, a famed amateur golfer uh, from here in Chicago, approached the WGA about starting a caddy scholarship trust. Um, he had grown up as a caddy. He attended Northwestern and him and his mother wanted to take the earnings, the endorsement money that he had earned as an amateur golfer. He won, you know, the 1916 U.S. Open and the U.S. Amateur in the same year was the first player ever to do that. 
Um, so approached the WGA about starting this caddy scholarship fund. And so in 1930, um, two caddies, Harold Fink and Jim McGinnis, enrolled at Northwestern, um, you know, and, and kind of began this incredible tradition that is the Evans Scholarship. We have 1,070 um, students in school this year on full tuition and housing uh, college, college scholarships. They all caddied at clubs uh, across the country. Um, we are going to award 315 uh, new scholarships this year, and um, it's incredible. It's, you know, we talk about it all the time. It's sort of the, in some ways, the best kept secret in golf um, because it's it's a program that I think the people who know about it love it and are passionate about it and really kind of um, evangelize, I think, on our behalf. But, you know, I don't think people, a lot of people, I went to IU um, in Indiana, we have a house there and I didn't really know that was a thing until I started working here. So every day, I think we're just trying to get out the message and, um, talk about what the Evans Scholars Foundation is doing, but also I think more generally talking about the benefits of caddying and, and the opportunities that caddying can afford, you know, young people. We say it's the best summer job a young person can have. Yeah. That's actually really cool. Yeah, bravo, bro. Like I should have worked on my intro a little bit. Now I just really lives in a van. Yeah, I think that's amazing from from both of you guys. That's an awesome intro. Um for because I've heard with the Evans Scholars where, oh well, you there's a house and the kids can go to school. And in terms of universities, is it like they can go anywhere they want, or is it a select amount of schools yeah so we actually have partner universities um across the across the country um from maryland on the east coast to the university of washington and the university of oregon on the west coast most of them are um you know large state universities so we opened recently at penn state kansas iu wisconsin northwestern we've got a few kids at the university of chicago as well um you know proud of our partnership with with that university but uh we're mm -hmm. growing all the time so yeah i mean uh, you know in terms of what the what the scholarship provides it's full tuition housing these kids are living in a house together on these you know on these campuses with young men and women who have the same experience that that they have they may be pursuing different you know academic concentrations and that sort of thing but by and large, these are all people who've caddied, who've worked the long days and the double loops and the, you know, all of that stuff. And it's pretty incredible. You know, the community living component of our, of our scholarship is such a huge thing that ties people, you know, back to the program. Alumni give at, you know, incredible rates back to the program because not only is it, it's so much more than just a scholarship. Mm -hmm. You know, it really is a family. It really is a, it really is a community that, you know, spans the, you know, spans the country. For sure. One of the things that I've always found interesting, not just within golf, but it's from my own professional experience within design and advertising. Um, this is for all the kids in school and the listening to the podcast. This is really important because I've had, you know, friends and random people that ask for career advice. One of the things that has always helped me, every job that I've ever gotten in my entire career has been through networking. My very first job out of school, I was at an event. There was an alumni there. I got in the door at a really cool place. The next job from there was, you know, oh, my my girlfriend works here. You want to go work here? And then it kind of like has always been this thing where, you know, you have to do the work. And obviously your work 
helps you stand out. But then in this digital world where you submit your resume and it goes in, or your application, it goes into this endless pile of God knows what. And I've been on the other side of that too, where you're, you're, there's a job listing or there's you know people applying for a thing and expecting someone who probably has, and this is no excuse, but someone who has 50,000 things to do, plus filtering through 900 applications, it's hard to stand out. And it's interesting how the power of golf from a networking perspective I mean, even the three of us on this call where one, I think it's interesting that we've all worked in advertising and media in some regard. I would never know that if it wasn't for golf. So just from, from that perspective, like that's really cool. Um, so I, I just, I just think that, you know, from networking, it's a really powerful thing that not just the younger kids can tap into, but then, you know, any adult looking to grow their career, cause you'll never know who you're going to meet on this course. So I don't know, from each of your perspectives, Matt, you know, Patrick, how has networking uh, helped you guys, um, you know, pursue the things that, that you want to pursue in your respective fields? I mean, I think you hit that 100% on the head. When I started this, I didn't know anybody in golf. I didn't have any connections. I didn't have anyone holding my hands. You know, I built this whole business just off an idea. But I realized really early on in the journey that you know, especially in golf, it, it's all about who you know and and the opportunities that can present themselves from those relationships. Um, you know, here I am six years, almost six years after starting this journey and, you know, to have the sponsors that I do on the side of the vehicle and, you know, to be here on this call with you gentlemen today, even, you know, it says a lot about, you know, uh, the power of relationship and where those things can take you. And, you know, I'm an opportunity guy. When I, when I meet somebody, it's, it's more, I don't like to talk about myself. I, I like to get to know the people that I'm connecting with and playing with. And I don't ever look at it as like, Oh, this gentleman could be, or, or lady could be an opportunity. It's more like, Hey, I want to get to know you. And then how can we collaborate together and do something cool together? Right. That's always like my, my main agenda is like, I want to do something cool with everybody that I meet, whether it's, you know, experiencing their life or working together in some capacity in the future. So I think you hit it on the head is, you know, you never know who those people are too. coming from Jackson hole. One of the coolest things about that community is literally they say the billionaires are pushing out the millionaires and you could be sitting at the bar and there could be a cowboy sitting next to you. And it turns out that it's some billionaire, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm just having a candid conversation with the guy at the bar sharing a Budweiser and then come to find out that he's, you know, Bill Gates's nephew, right? <laughs> like, come on now. Like it, it yeah. happens all the time. You never know who that person is that you're speaking with. I, I learned a long, long time ago, somebody said to me, the most important person in your life is the person that's standing in front of you at any given time. And that has really resonated with me and stuck with me throughout my life. Like I truly treat every single person, even if it's a homeless dude on the street, I treat them like they are the most special person on the planet because you never know like what their background is, like what they, you, you don't know anything about that person until you really take that time to connect. And, and, uh, I, I, I take that very, very seriously. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, man, I think you're totally right. I think that like relationship building piece of this, especially working in golf is so huge because it is a relatively sort of insular world. It's not, it's not that big. I mean, you know, the sort of industry itself, it's getting bigger for sure. Mm -hmm. But I mean, a lot of the people know a lot of the same 
people. And so I think being willing to sort of collaborate and I think also in kind of a digital space, um, understanding that success and like recognition isn't like a finite thing. So someone else doing well doesn't mean there's less success for you. You know, being able to kind of, you know, reach out to people and, and just even sometimes it's as simple as just reaching out to someone saying that you appreciate what they do. You know, if they posted a cool picture that you like or whatever it is, just kind of not being sort of unafraid to say, hey, that was really cool. And in to Matt's point, like if there's opportunity for us to collaborate somewhere down the road, that would be great. And people don't forget that kind of thing. I mean, I know it really stands out for me and for us. And I think by and large, I mean, Matt, I mean, I just reached out to you. We were doing a head cover thing with um, Seamus Golf and said, you know, would you like to be involved? And, you know, next thing I know, I've got Matt's like Sprinter van pulling into the player parking lot, at the BMW championship, like, you know, to, to, to buy and then give away head covers, which is incredible. You know, I, I think it's such a cool community that we're building in the golf world. And I'm, I'm so stoked to be part of it. It's awesome. Yeah, it's great. Uh, side note, because I was late, my trigger finger was delayed, and I missed all those head covers. If you have any lying around the office, I will pay, pay at any price, because those things were, were sick. I think I can rustle one up for you. <laughs> Strong. I, I think that's a that's a great comment, though, about you know my mission, right? I, th- I think a lot of people define success as monetary, where for me, mm-hmm. it doesn't... It, I do a lot of things in my travels that I just believe in the mission and, you know, us working together and me promoting what you were doing with those head covers. uh, I thought it was special and cool. And obviously I want to support you and everything that you do. And, you know, it was a really fun way for me to, you know, support that, 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 uh, initiative was, Hey, I'll, I'm passing through Maryland. Let me come to the BMW and buy a couple of these so I can get these, you know, mm-hmm. really coveted product to people that can't attend the, the tournament in person. And here I am like pulling into the players lot, you know, like <laughs> with the van, it was just like completely random, but like so golfing your awesome. state that it, it can, it can't be duplicated, yeah. but it's things like that. They're like, it, it gives meaning to my travels and, and, you know, makes me feel warm and cozy that I'm supporting something that is worthwhile and also communicating the message of why it's important. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because you're right. It's, you, you don't realize it in the, in the moment where a very small project, you guys working together saying, Hey, how do we, you know, get some more eyeballs in, on, on this program and what we're doing on the other end, you've got someone like me who loves golf, obsessed with golf, has never heard of it before because, and isn't in the, the, the right groups. And then you also have to think about, oh, well, it's media talking about it. And then, then is it getting exposure on these channels where sometimes it's really hard. And, you know, you guys all know this too, where working in media, especially nowadays, everyone has a channel, everyone has a profile. It's really hard to distinguish, you know, the good from the just mundane, stuff that everyone's kind of like throwing out there and it's it's very easy to get diluted and and lost in the mix um but it's good where you know you've got talented people working together to put the right eyeballs on the right thing i think that's that's where you kind of get this perfect combination uh, of resources which is cool um one really quick thing i wanted to talk about from a networking perspective especially in in regards to the younger generation where you know with with you guys and evan scholars the thing that i like about it is that there may be kids, not just that haven't been in golf that are getting the opportunity to kind of like experience it. That's, that's really cool. 
But from a college perspective and a degree perspective, I think there's something really powerful where you can get someone in front of the right people talking about the right things. And all of a sudden it's, you know, hey, I didn't know I could pursue a career in X or I didn't realize I, you know, I could get a scholarship for Y or I never thought I'd like golf. Like This is cool. Um, do you guys have a... Um, I don't want to say like networking one-on-one class, but um, I think that is a life skill that kids growing up don't really get a lot of. Like when I think of the the times in my life where, you know, you see that being passed down from, from generation to generation and only really happens if the parents had that or grew up in that world and they just kind of like pass it down. Some people might call it nepotism. There's a little bit of that, obviously, right? But that thinking of, networking, knowing the right people, passing it down, your kid benefits from that, your kid benefits from that, and so on and so forth. Some groups don't get that, right? In many many aspects of the world, which I think is wild. Uh, But how do you guys make sure that the kids that you guys are working with are are, are tapping into that that networking tool as much as they can? I think it's it's a couple of things. I think one is on staff here, we have uh, people who oversee like mentorship programs. So is it Evan Scholars alumni at um, various companies across the country, you know, agreeing to spend time with kids who were in their position not too long ago and, and, and giving them um, advice, whether it's in a health related field, if it's a doctor who's, who's going to talk to kids who are interested in medicine about, you know, what, what that's like and sort of give them some, some kind of things to, things to avoid, things to kind of look out for and be aware of. You know, talking about the networking piece, you know, there are countless stories of Evan Scholars alumni hiring Evan Scholars. Like that's a thing that happens mm-hmm. all the time because I think there's a recognition within our community of the people who get this scholarship um, are not afraid of hard work, clearly, um, you know, as a result of the requirements to get this scholarship. Um, and so people are willing to stick their neck out for each other, which is beautiful. Um yeah, so I think that, and I think just by virtue of what caddying is, you know, one of the one of the benefits that we talk about of youth caddying all the time is the opportunity to network with successful adults. Like you have an opportunity to to kind of hone those interpersonal communication skills that are so important in every walk of life with people who are successful. You know, because most of these caddy programs are at private clubs. Mm-hmm. You know, so these are the heavy hitters in your in your community, and so I think that that you know, by really preaching the message of, you know, the opportunities that we think youth caddying affords. And also when we're in school, really making sure that our pro that our programming on our side is making sure that we're making sure the students are in a position to take advantage of every opportunity, um, of, you know, afforded to them. For sure. That's awesome. Um, one other question that I had, and look, this is the a lot of people think that this phrase is very cliche, the the growing the game phrase, right? We we hear it on TV every five minutes. And from one perspective, one could argue that, and I I'm I come from advertising and we think about this a lot where, you know, you do a campaign, you put it out there, there's a tagline or whatever, and you have to do and say things to the point of exhaustion where you internally are tired of hearing it. But then you may be sick of it, and maybe this is just kind of like us within golf. You're sick of it, and you're tiring, ty- tired of it. But then on the other end, that repetition is what starts to create a system where people are committed to it and are staying with it. So it is this kind of like catch-22. But 
I'll put that to the side. I was rambling for a second. But in terms of growing the game, I think there's a lot of focus, and this is just my perspective, so no one get mad if you disagree. Listeners or whoever. I think there is a lot of focus on getting more people playing golf. And look, this is good. Hey, let's sell more tee times and and sell more gear and highlight more people of color on the course and, and highlight more women, which is all great stuff, right? But when you think of golf as an industry and when you think of you know, how not everybody wants to be a golfer and not everybody, you know, wants to play every weekend. Like some people, that's not going to be their experience with the game. When you think of actually growing it, I think a, a large part of the conversation that doesn't happen enough, and I'd be curious to hear your perspectives on this, is that opportunity is like working within golf, being your own, like being like a mat where, hey, you can work within golf and set your own rules and do your own thing if, if this is kind of like your cup of tea. Or, you know, like Evan Scholars, where you can use golf to help create, um, you know, whatever life you want to live. I feel like there just aren't a lot of conversations around growing the game in that regard versus selling tea time. So, like, do you guys agree, disagree? And, do you know, do you have a different perspective on that? Does that make sense? I mean, I've already thrown the phrase out once during this podcast, right? Like, <laughs> it's a phrase that everyone's using, but at the same time, everyone's sick of hearing, right? Like, I feel that I feel that collectively as a community, us us that are trying to make the game appealing to a larger audience come up against this challenge all the time. Right. It's like, how do we how do we grow the game without saying growing the game? <laughs> it's ever everlasting battle. Right. Uh, for me, it's more about inclusion and, you know, making pe people feel comfortable around the game rather than anything else. And when I say inclusion, it's it doesn't it, I'm not even talking so much about race or anything else. I'm talking about making everybody that has ever felt uncomfortable with the game of golf feel like they want to be a part of it. Right. I feel like mm -hmm. the general public still has this perception of the game that it's the 1%. It's the private country club uh, dressed a certain way. Like it, it, the game is no longer that, you know, accessibility is there. I mean, you look at, you know, the cost of playing golf. There are affordable options to play golf pretty much everywhere across the country. Um, but I think that there's been these limiting factors that throughout the test of time have kind of, you know, held people back from embracing it or wanting to try it. And, you know, people like myself, I, I make a lot of effort to, you know, showcase a different side of the game. So it does appeal to that larger audience. I think COVID, you know, clearly impacted the game more than me and my friends could ever do, right? More people mm -hmm. have started playing the game of golf because of COVID than, you know, major manufacturers promoting this growing the game concept ever could. Um, you know, I feel like looking back to people saying the game of golf is dying and, you know, major manufacturers grasping at like, how do we keep this industry alive kind of scenario is where that really started. And it's, it's not up to the major companies in golf to, to keep this thing alive. It's people like ourselves that are really going to, you know, attract new audience to the game and get a club in the hand of a kid that, you know, might not have played otherwise, unless I met them on the street and was like, let's go play some golf. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a lot of factors that go into the growing the game. And uh, I feel like all of us are putting our best foot forward to, to showcase this game in a different way that makes other people that in the past may have showed no interest now getting excited about it. Like that's the ultimate goal. I think for, for, you know, this modern day community that loves golf. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I mean, I think for us, you know, we promote youth caddying as certainly as a way to create lifelong golfers. I mean, I think that that's introducing kids to the game and getting them around the game. There's certainly no requirement um, for the Evans scholarship that you play golf. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I would say a lot of our, a lot of the students who apply for our scholarship, I would say some have an interest in golf, some don't, but I think really, you know, when we talk about what a life in golf means, you know, for us, I think it's about using the game as a vehicle. You know, Andrew, you said earlier, using the game of golf as a vehicle to get a college, you know, get a college education and like network and build a career for yourself and really make a life for yourself that begins with golf. And hopefully, I mean, you know, you come back and play the game and you kind of pass that along and, you know, feel some, some sense of love for, you know, kind of the game that was the catalyst for all of that. But if you don't, then that's okay too. And, but I think that that's, that's, that's kind of where it starts. I think it's just, I think like Matt said, it starts with inclusion. It starts with really kind of breaking down um, what people think golf is and, kind of going back to what Matt said, you know, obviously the game during COVID exploded, you know, and, and, and we look at COVID as sort of the tipping point for that growth, but I can't help but wonder if it wasn't just COVID, if it wasn't also sort of this perfect storm of COVID people like Matt, you know, all of these new people that are in the space that are really letting people see more of themselves in our game. You know, whereas before that, those kinds of voices just didn't really exist. And so, you know, if people don't see themselves in our sport, what incentive is there to play? You yeah, know, like that's what it, that's what it comes that's what it comes down to for me. And that's, you know, that's that's what's that's what it's all about. That's true. Out of curiosity, do you know the percentage of of Evan scholars that stay in golf versus? I'm just curious. Do you do you have a breakdown? I don't have the number in front of you, but I can tell you just like anecdotally, it's, I don't know, 5%, very, very few. I mean, some might go into like a turf grass management program. You know, we have scholars right. at, you have scholars at Penn state. They have an incredible turf grass program there. You know, we've got, um, we've got an Evan scholar who's a uh, caddy on the LPGA tour. Um, but those stories are kind of few and far between. I mean, the, the overwhelming majority of Evan scholars make their life in literally anything other than that's cool so for both you guys in connection to that uh patrick what is the most unconnected to golf thing you've ever heard it could be you or anyone or a scholar or anyone associated with what you guys do the most unconnected thing to golf that that what you guys do has served as a as a you know launching pad for for that person to go into like for example i don't know student pursuing you know biochem or something I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, there's so much, right. I mean, we've had, um, you know, the CEO of John Deere is, you know, was an Evans uh, scholar alum. You know, we've had really big, big corporate people come through our program and, and, you know, and make a life for themselves way, way, way outside of golf. You know, we have doctors and engineers and literally someone working in every imaginable field 
um, within the Evan Scholars uh, alumni um, network. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the misconceptions of, I think about the program, and I think scholars get this a lot on their campuses, is they're like, oh, you guys like caddy for the golf team? <laughs> and it's like, no, that's not really like <laughs> what it is. Like they just, you know, they caddied and earned this incredible opportunity. But but for the most part, I mean, a lot of them, once they get the scholarship, never caddy again. You know, like that's just kind of the way it goes. That's cool. What about you, Matt? What is the most, you know, unexpected it could be career opportunity, person you've met, just doing what you do and being in those places. Because at least for me, I think that's half of the battle of just like being right place, right time, seeking opportunities. The most unexpected non-golf related thing that's ever happened to you. Such a hard question to answer because random things happen to me every yeah. single day, like <laughs> on the road. I again i'm like that person that just embraces i roll with the punches i see where it goes kind of scenario that yeah. i've had so many fantastic experiences that may have started with the game but went so far in the other direction that it became more about life experiences and you know i i really do like deep dive into people's lives that you know golf might be the connector but it, it goes it goes so much deeper than all of that right um you know i guess i didn't really understand the question correctly because my mind immediately started going to like all of the people that i've somehow forced <laughs> to pick up the game of golf because there's all these people that i've met along the way that i'm like come play golf with me let me show you this game and and what it looks like through my eyes and experience wise and I can tell you everybody that I have ever done that with, they have left that round of golf or that hour at the driving range. Like I didn't think it would be like that. And for me, mm -hmm. like that's a really cool Testament to what I do a testimonial, because if I can get somebody excited about this, just through my experience and how I embrace the game, then, you know, that's a win. I, I just recently had this conversation with somebody about growing the game. I, I want to make one other point on this. And um, we were talking about growing the game and we were talking about COVID. And I was like, you know, I, I'm a huge advocate for inclusivity and, and accessibility and trying to get as many people involved in the game as I can. And we were talking about COVID and the uprise in golf. And they were like, yeah, like I, I was too, but now I can't get a tea time in Los Angeles. And I was like, excuse me, like you're complaining about, the availability of tee times because the number of people growing, uh, playing golf is growing. And I was like, you realize that's a complete, complete contradiction to like what your personal mission is. Right. And they didn't really put all that together. And to me, it was like, okay, if we're truly going to be like an advocate for this, you have to like celebrate the success of it. Right. And if there's mm -hmm. inexperienced golfers in the group in front of you don't complain about snow slow play i was like embrace it like go catch up to that group and like get them even more excited about the game than they are and like i was talking about all these different things that i do personally and they were just like blown away by it and i was like let's go catch up to that group we'll show them how much fun this can be and how they can speed up their play to not like inhibit their experience or the people around them and we ended up doing it. And the guy was just like dumbfounded. Mm -hmm. It's just like one of those examples of, you know, I think that we're all in this together and we're, you know, trying to 
to get people, more people playing. And we have to celebrate that success. And for me, the way to celebrate it is to truly embrace it and, and, you know, uh, just spread the golf stoke, like get everyone as excited as they possibly can about it in a really unique way. For sure. And in a way that they can relate to, which brings me to my next question. What do you guys, cause you think of the the, like the next generation and I don't know, I can't believe I say this cause it makes me sound old, like the, the youth, right? What do you see? Because I do think with every generation, the role of golf has, has somewhat evolved where like my parents don't play, right? My, my grandparents didn't play. I'm probably the only member of my family that's ever played golf, um, which is cool in itself. But then you think of, this is kind of like my, stereotypical perspective of what I think the the roles of golf in people's lives have has is has been in the past and what it's going to where you think of the 40s and the 50s where you know it was more of a status symbol where you joined the club and it was something that you do on the weekend and it was not necessarily something that was always around performance it was just kind of like if you made it to a certain point in your life this is kind of like what you did and you would join a club and you'd go out and and do the thing so it was more of a status symbol and then in recent years especially with the surge of golf i think that hasn't gone away but there's more of this i want to pursue golf as you know it's my new activity and i want to get really good at it so there's been this more of this performance obsession tiger woods like i want to go out and smash it and course records and you know and crush um but then the next generation the youth now obviously things like Top Golf and Drive Shack and all these organizations and Evan Scholars and and what you're doing, Matt. Golf is becoming something that it's never been before. And I think when the youth digest what golf is now and decide what they want it to be, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, so, what do you guys see golf being being for that next group of kids? I don't know the kids that are maybe in high school right now. Sure. I mean, I guess for me, I think about it the way that the game is trending. And I think you kind of see this reflected in the, in some of the emerging brands around the game too. I think golf's going to be just more of like a really good hang. Like I, th I think when you look at the way that a lot of these, you know, a resort like Sand Valley or Bannon, obviously where it's just like, I think it's just going to be a little bit more of a, let's get a group together and go hang out and just have an awesome time. And, and I think it's going to be less about what my, you know, launch angle is and all the analytics and stuff. I think it's just going to be more about having fun. And like I said, I think you see that reflected in a lot of the brands that are starting to gain, are starting to gain traction in the space, you know, where it's, it's not all, it's not always about, you know, how like good are you, but how good of a time did you have? And I think that that's, I think that that's really important that I think it's becoming a little bit more of like a lifestyle piece as opposed to just a sport or a game where it's becoming sort of a, 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 a 360 degree thing. For sure. What about you, Matt? What do you think? You know, my mind immediately goes to my mission statement for the golf wall project. You know, part of that mission statement was, you know, talking about the future of golf. It, it was, um, breaking down the walls that have hindered its growth while building a foundation for its future. And one thing that really stands out to me as I look at, you know, the up and coming group of golfers 
is is the importance of all the values that the game of golf can teach you right like i think back to when i first started with my father you know teaching me about integrity and all these things around the game that really you know held a lot of weight and that i i truly learned from playing the game of golf um you know my biggest concern is that you know the younger demographic today coming up in the game is seeing you know the the content share accounts of people getting hammered on the golf course and running people over with golf carts and things that you know in my opinion aren't a great reflection of the game of golf um you know it's it's still it it I am a hundred percent on board with the game moving in the trajectory that it is. But my biggest fear is that all of those values and, and the things that historically have made the game of golf very special are somehow being lost. And I've again, taken it upon myself to, you know, educate new golfers about, you know, etiquette and integrity and like all these beautiful things about the game that can teach you not only, you know, how to be a more respectable golfer, but also a a better member of the community uh, of the human right, like just a better person overall. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's my biggest concern is that that all gets lost in, in kind of, you know, the way golf is being portrayed today. Yeah, I think that's huge. I mean, I think that that's going to be the challenge of the game sort of faces as it grows, right, is is what are the traditions that we hold on to and what mm-hmm. are the ones that maybe those are steeped in exclusion and those 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 kind of guidelines and some of that and some of those traditions are rooted in something that isn't as progressive as we would like it to be. And so what do you kind of leave behind and what do you keep? And I think, Matt, I think that's a great point because there does seem to be an entire kind of golf content subculture of how hammered can you get on a golf course? And that is like really not it. <laughs> like just, just not it on any level. Right. There's so many things to it. You know, as I look at, you know, dress code at golf courses, right? Like it, that is something that I think should just go away. You should be able to wear whatever you want on the golf course, but some traditional golfers would be like, you must wear a collared shirt. It must be tucked in just because that's like, you know, it's tradition. And to me, that's like one of those subtle changes that can make the game so much more appealing to more people. Mm -hmm. If you told everyone you can wear whatever you want on the golf course, it, it would, that alone would make people feel more comfortable around the sport. And so I think there's certain things and it's not my decision. It's, I don't know whose decision that is, but ultimately I think it's a community at large just needs to be like, okay, these are the things that we still need out of the game. These are the things that, you know, we can discard and and move towards the future with. And, uh, you know, it's, there's just so many, again, so many layers to it. Mm -hmm. It's really nuanced for sure. Yeah. it's, It's so true. There's a lot of nuance. I will say one of the, optimistic things about the youth is that statistically kids are they drink i mean obviously all kids drink right but from the whole you know i'm just going to drink my face off the kids don't really at least from what i've heard in the data that i've seen they value they care more about spending time with the people that they actually care about and appreciate and alcohol plays a smaller role in that which i think is very cool 
Um, and then I also think one of the things that I really uh, see that younger generations uh, have been able to grasp onto at a much earlier pace than at least my generation was, was the notion of self-awareness and empathy and kind of like care for the world around them, which I think in all regards, not just golf, like just makes you a better person. So I think that in itself, you know, hopefully they'll, all of those stupid practices that we do see in golf, hopefully they'll just be like, you know what, that's, that's not for me. But I think you're right. Cause when you think of a lot of those, there is so much nuance to it where all of these subtle things, rules and tr tradition and history in, in some regards, some of those things are, are great and good to hold on to, but then some of them have to let go because we can't forget that there was a time where it was tradition, where if you looked a certain tradition said, and some places still have this tradition, if you look a certain way, or if your wallet is only a certain size, or if your skin color is X, tradition says you can't come in here, right? And some of those traditions ha have to go away. Um, and th there is some really exciting growth that can happen when, you know, people do decide to embrace the good and, 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 you know, let, let everything else go. Like this whole dress code thing, I'm, I'm tired of talking about it, but you're right. It's, it's ridiculous because, you know, who said you have to be a successful businessman, for example, and you have to wear a suit? No one, because some of the most successful people in the world, you know, Rihanna's a, is she a billionaire now, I think, right? I mean, Zuckerberg, the, the, when you think of Mark Zuckerberg, right, good or bad now with his state in the world, the iconic visual that you have in your head is a guy in a black t-shirt. And, you know, for some people that can be success. So it just goes to show you that like the definition of success and the definition of, you know, what is right and wrong can evolve and change if people let it. So, well, uh, one last question. Um, just thinking moving forward, I mean, what month is it now? It's April. Uh, what do you guys, you know, have in the works looking to accomplish for the rest of the year now that, you know, things are getting green uh, and, the, and the golf season is kicking into full swing? You know, I have a pretty busy 2022. Um, I am gearing up to get back on the road. You know, gas prices has been kind of stalled out through Genesis. <laughs> After Genesis, you know, I made this decision that it's not feasible for me to be on the road right now with gas prices the way they are, at least from a business perspective. Mm -hmm. So I've been kind of hunkered down here in SoCal, but I am picking up a bunch of projects for the re remainder of the year. Um, I'll be at the U.S. Open this year. I got a couple other PGA Tour stops, um, you know, continuing to build upon my relationships with my brand partners. I got a bunch of really cool things coming up with Adidas that I'm excited about, uh, as well as electric. Like, it's been a really, really fun year. So just in quarter one, I've done a ton of travel. I've been attending a ton of events. Um, but, you know, it, for the remainder of the year, I am getting back on the road, which I'm really excited about. To plug one of my content plays, Detour is finally releasing this week. I got five episodes of that coming out. So I've been working behind the scenes on post-production with the remaining four episodes of that. I have a lot of stuff like behind the scenes that I haven't really been putting out there yet as far as like production and things that I've been working on. Um, you know, I'll put out a little teaser there because I like to do this for friends of mine that I'm on pod. I'm actually working on a movie right now. Get out. Could be really, really exciting. I've been pounding pavement here in LA trying to make this all come to fruition. It looks like it is going to happen. Um, so I got that going on. 
and just wearing all these hats. I, <laughs> I got like 15 <laughs> hats on right now and decided which one I'm going to wear today. <laughs> for sure. That's good. What about you, Patrick? Uh, yeah, I mean, for us, it's pretty much from now to the end of the year is kind of a blur. Um, you know, we'll start our tournament season. We have a Corn Ferry Tour event here in Chicago, uh, Memorial Day weekend. And then from there, it's just kind of uh, tournaments and summer events and that kind of thing. So we've got a junior event. Um, well, two junior events that we run, the Western Junior and the Women's Western Junior. Both of those are here in the Chicago area. And then we've got the Women's Western Amateur, which is here, and then the Western Amateur uh, which is um, up here in Chicago as well. And then obviously our tournament season culminates uh, with the 2022 BMW championship at uh, Wilmington Country Club in Wilmington, uh, Delaware. So it's actually gonna be the first time that the uh, tour events been played in the state of Delaware. We were just there uh, last month and everyone there just could not be more, more, uh, more pumped to, uh, to welcome the event and raise a whole bunch of money uh, for the Evans uh, scholarship. So that's, uh yeah so that's kind of the rest of the year and then for me it just kind of like how to figure out how to how we kind of like storytell around all of that um yeah it's gonna be a busy summer nice and uh application deadlines for the kids that are playing what are we looking at so applications for this fall will launch uh later this summer um so fall of 2022 and then that that application window remains open through the end of october i believe so um yeah, so applications, just stay tuned to WGAESF.org and, and we'll get those applications up. Uh, I believe it's July 1st, but but I will have to double check that. But that's, uh, yeah, it'll go up and then we'll get ready to welcome in um, another uh, record class of uh, incoming Evans scholars. Exciting. Good stuff. My son is going to be three in May. Is it too early to fill out an application for him? Yes or no? Um, I mean, I'm not sure what the laws are in your state, but I, I think I'll tell you that getting a toddler caddying is probably frowned upon by, uh, various state legislatures, but who knows? That is such a great comment. Way to forward think that. <laughs> a good parenting choice for sure. He can, he can carry like three clubs, driver, light, you know, carbon shaft, whatever, probably a seven iron. Yeah. He may, maybe a Sunday bag, but I don't see him making it more than like Two, two holes he'll get hungry yeah so. that happens you know kids <laughs> all right awesome well thanks for being on guys that was fun awesome yeah thanks so much that was a blast yeah oh, i appreciate cool. you having me on andrew patrick always great to see you thanks for listening to this episode of the fair game podcast if you haven't already you can hit subscribe on apple podcast spotify or whatever service you may be using you can also follow us on Instagram at FairGameGolf and check out some original videos on our YouTube page. You can find all these links in the episode details below. Hope you guys are getting back on the course out there. We'll see you next time.